Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. You're listening to the Archaeology Show. TAS goes behind the headlines to bring you the real stories about archaeology and the history around us. Welcome to the podcast. Hello and welcome to the Archaeology Show, episode 239. On today's show, we talk about the history, folklore, and archaeology of vampires. Let's dig a little deeper, straight into the heart with the stick. <laughs> oh, that was a good one. <laughs> welcome to the show, everyone, to the spooky edition, the obligatory spooky edition that everybody does of everything this week. I'm not sure we've ever done this before, though. No. At least not with me. I can't remember an episode that was, like, holiday-based. That's because I hate it. Oh, don't hate it. This is so fun. Okay, so as we mentioned in the intro, we're talking about vampires. And the, yes. the only reason I really kind of agreed to do this, and in fact it was my idea, because, like, two months ago, there was a couple articles that came out. That were like vampire related and yeah. archaeology related. And yeah. I was like, well, you know what? It's close enough to Halloween to just kind of save these. Yeah. Yeah. And then roll into Halloween. So, yeah. And it turns out when we were doing the research, it's like a totally fascinating topic. Yeah. But it's not just the archaeology, which is the article that prompted you to mm-hmm. do this topic. Because, yes, we do find remains sometimes that would have been considered vampires back in the day when they were buried, right? Yeah. But it's also like the whole folklore behind it, the stories, the development. And it's such an interesting look into the like the psyche of a, the ancient person or historic person, depending on how far back you're going and it's just it's yeah. a really, really cool topic. So I don't know. I got I got really into the the <laughs> folklore research bit of it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, looking at a quick history of the vampire folklore and origins, I mean, if you were to ask somebody where you think vampires probably come from historically, mm-hmm. I mean, they would say I would say Romania, because everything yeah. crazy comes from Romania. Right. Right. So but Eastern Europe. Yeah. Yeah, generally Eastern Europe. And you'd be correct about that. Yeah. It was the stories begin among the Slavic peoples of the Eastern Europe yeah. region. You know, we're talking like Bulgaria, Poland, probably Romania, too. Those areas about I mean, a thousand years ago. Probably Croatia, where we were. Maybe. Yeah. I yeah. mean, all of those peoples from that yeah. area, they they had these sorts of. I thought I saw some vampires. <laughs> yeah. Well, OK. So speaking of that, though, like. What do you think of when you think of a vampire? Like, what's what's your idea in your head? <laughs> you know, depending on what I've just seen on TV or something like <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, like either, the latest interpretation. It's either sparkles. Oh, my God. That's, or, that's like a 20-year-old reference at this point, but go on. <laughs> or even older, like, what was his name? Bela Lugosi or something like that? Oh, like yeah. Like the original, mm-hmm. you know... Dracula. Yeah. Dracula. Like the tuxedo, yeah. the slicked back hair. Right. Probably got, had like a goblet with right. something red in it. Don't know what it was. Oh, wait, it was blood. You know. Then you've got Buffy. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then most recently, you've got the best representation of vampires I've ever seen. <laughs> what We Do in the Shadows. What We Do in the Shadows is <laughs> one of the best shows on yeah. television, in our opinion. But yeah, but. totally. <laughs> 
if you know the show, you're laughing right you now. You know, I totally knew you were going to say that at some point in this episode. I didn't know it would be in the first five minutes, but I don't, I'm not mad about it. So, okay, so that's great. That's what we think of it now. And that is what the legends sort of transitioned into by yeah. the 17, 18, 1900s, right? But it goes back further than that. And the word vampire actually roughly translates to ghost monster. <laughs> and these super early stories were of like a non-corporeal ghost type of being that would wreak havoc in villages and spread disease. So and- rats. <laughs> right. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Like they were the rats of, yeah. <laughs> they were ghost rats. And I mean, and, it could be a way to explain something like rats, yeah, right? It could be. Yeah. They're well, like, I can't be rats. It must be something else. Exactly. And sometimes it was like a string of bad luck would befall a village and they needed something to blame it on. And witches were not a big thing in this part of the world. Like that's what <laughs> witches, <laughs> witches in the Western European area in the Americas, that's, those were the scapegoats for bad things happening yeah. to villages at that time. But in this area, you know, they could just blame it on ghosts and they would look at whoever was most recently dead and be like, oh, it's probably them. And mm-hmm. they came back. They like rose from their grave and came back to get us. So what, what gets me about most pop culture, movie, TV things about any sort of fantastical creature like that, vampires or otherwise, is they always pair them with something else that has nothing to do with it historically. Right. right? Yeah. You've got vampires and werewolves. Or yeah. You've got vampires, witches, and well, demons. Well, hold on, though. I'm going to get to some connections between some of that stuff. Yeah. We'll, we'll get there in this history. But yeah, you think it's disconnected, but there's always like a little thread sometimes, right, yeah. with this supernatural stuff. So... These early legends, they were limited to the Slavic peoples and until like the late 1600s, early 1700s-ish. And that is very specifically because the Holy Roman Empire conquered Hungary and took control of the area, basically. Yeah. And the soldiers would learn these stories about vampires and they brought them back to the big cities in the Holy Roman Empire, like Berlin and Vienna. And then from there, they just sort of spread across Western Europe over to America. And we get to the point where we have these these legends that we know today and the legends that we know today were heavily influenced by like Western superstition and ideas about witchcraft. So that's where like witches kind of get connected in with it because the ideas about witches were pretty strongly in the Western psyche, the Western European psyche at that point, and then enter vampires. So a lot of this like stuff sort of starts mixing together. It's just those early legends develop because of that or in part, you know, together with that. Yeah, it took a while to get over to the to kind of the Western world. Mm-hmm. The word vampire first appeared in English in 1732. Yeah. And it was representing a full-bodied, risen corpse that needs to drink human blood and a lot of the things that we know today. Yeah, yeah. That all came, yeah. came later for sure. Now, I thought this was really interesting. There is potentially like scientific reasons why legends developed like this. One of the articles that we'll link to has a theory that in the 1700s, human blood was thought to have medicinal properties. Mm -hmm. People would even drink it for like treatment back then. Tasty. And I guess because of the bloodletting thing that was going on by doctors, like there would be like sources of blood around all the time that you could just drink. I don't even know. Like, I can't even imagine what kind of havoc that would wreak on people who were drinking it, but still... So if because it was consumed for all types of ailments, you could kind of imagine that being a vampire was like like having a disease. It, it was a vampire disease and you would drink the blood I mean, and that was the treatment. So I mean, for the most part, it is a condition. <laughs> yeah, you know? it's a condition. Sure. <laughs> you know? People don't talk about how, you know, vampires are. I mean, they're technically dead. Yeah. So but they're not zombies. 
Right. They're not. But and, why? And these early stories, too, <laughs> like, they'd go back to their graves and go back to sleep for the day, right? Yeah. So, like, yeah. Because the sunlight. Because, yeah. 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 Okay, so I found this really great story, one of the first early, first-hand accountings of a quote-unquote vampire rampage in a, in a city. So I thought it would be fun to tell this story. This is the story of poor Mr. Arnaud... Paoli, Paoli, mm-hmm. Paoli, P-A-O-L-E. And this takes place in the town of Medveda, Serbia. Okay. So we have this firsthand account because of letters written in January of 1732 by a medical officer in the Holy Roman Empire, Dr. Johannes Flukinger. And he was some of the things that he was reporting as part of his medical duties. So he's a, a physician who's reporting this stuff, yeah. that they were exhuming bodies that had not decayed at all. <laughs> and it was like, what is going on? And also that within these bodies of people that had been dead for several months, they were finding the presence of blood, which in their mind should not have been there anymore. Yeah. And that this blood also was like leaking out of their mouths and noses sometimes. So that was his account of what was going on and why they were probably vampires for those reasons. That would have been fun to find. I know. Well, there's a very good biological reason for it, which we'll get to. But he, you know, people in the 1700s had no idea what these biological reasons were. So it must be that they gorged themselves on blood (laughs) before they returned to their graves for the day. (laughs) So we're going to go back to Arnaud and figure out why these corpses might have had blood coming out of their noses. Because there's a whole story that led up to the point where the officer in the Holy Roman Empire Mm -hmm. was part of these autopsies going on with these bodies there. So Mr. Arnaud had left Turkey because he was troubled, in quotes, (laughs) by vampires there. And then he mysteriously died when he got back to his village. We don't know what troubled means. That's all that's written in the letter that we have in the archives. Now, according to the people of the village, he was seen post-death walking around the village, attacking people and livestock. And it was even said that he turned into a dog and was hunting for his prey. So he's also a werewolf. Right. This is the connection between the werewolves and vampires that we're going to get to. So more than 20 people in this village died mysteriously in the months after Arnaud did. And they needed a reason. These people just needed a reason. And so they, they attributed it to him, this first man who died under maybe not suspicious circumstances, but at least, you know, for no reason that they could tell. Right. They attributed the deaths to being attacked by Arnaud mm-hmm. or from eating infected livestock meat because he had bitten those animals and then right. they ate those animals right. or whatever. So apparently once the villagers ate the infected meat or were bitten by Arnaud, they would start behaving as though possessed by wild beasts. They could adopt a beastly shape or transmit this disease vampirism in their minds through animals to an unsuspecting human victim. And that's how this whole thing spread from Arnaud through the rest of the village and through the rest of the people. All right. And they felt like the only way that they could end the reign of terror was to dig up Arnaud and drive a stake through his heart, which by doing that, he would not be a vampire anymore. And when they did that... This is in quotes. They drove a stake through his heart, according to their custom, whereby he gave an audible groan and bled copiously. (laughs) So they dug him up months later and yeah, yeah, that's what happened. Right. So you can kind of see how these legends developed when you have a village in a situation like this where people are dying. They don't understand why. They drive a stake through the corpse of one of them and it groans for no reason. Mm -hmm. There's blood leaking out of orifices and... This is the conclusion they come to, right? Yeah. 
So the first thing that they think is what caused this whole thing is rabies. They think that there was an out like like modern people today yeah. think that this was an outbreak of rabies and that the disease is what killed the villagers and made them act crazy people who hadn't died yet. Yeah. Uh, based on what they think vampires look like and acted like, somebody with rabies who would rush at somebody and bite them or tear at them to pass the disease along, like that would seem like that kind of behavior. Mm-hmm. Also, this is an interesting biological thing. People with rabies will often die from suffocation or cardiac arrest. And this type of death means that blood is less likely to coagulate after death, and hemorrhage is common because of that. Hmm. And that results in slower decomposition, all of that sense. together. So, yeah. You know, there's a whole field, and I don't know if it would encompass all this, but paleopathology is looking at bones and in and other evidence, if you have it, but mm-hmm. usually just bones, of people a long time ago. Not necessarily... Three, four hundred years ago or a thousand years ago because it's paleopathology. But mm-hmm. I don't know if they call it historic pathology or something else like that. Because yeah. that's what you're talking about you yeah. know, is the pathology. You look at these historic accounts. If you have remains, you look at the remains mm-hmm. and you just say, OK, well, if that were to happen today, this would be the effect on the body. Yeah. And they just look at all the things that could cause that effect. And then they just basically put all these things in columns and where it matches up. You've got one thing that says, okay, so it looks like rabies fits all yeah. these circumstances. Yeah, and that's exactly yeah. why they came to that conclusion for this. It's such an interesting field, really. Yeah. And when with an area where you have firsthand accounts, because this is all this is all coming from letters that were written back and yeah. forth, you know. So even though it might not be accurate, it is accurate to what that person thought was going on at the time, you know. Yeah, and at this time in the Slavic stories, they didn't have a distinction between vampires and yeah. werewolves. Werewolves become vampires when they die, mm-hmm. which is crazy. And that's more evidence for the rabies connection since wolves spread rabies to humans. Yeah. 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 So that's why we've got this sort of beastly thing sort of intermixed with vampire stuff. And it's not really mm-hmm. separated the way it is today. Although, wouldn't it be interesting to have a story where it's like werewolves are just like walking around living their best life and then like they die and they become vampires and like that. <laughs> like, son of a. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Or maybe in that land, they want to become vampires. Maybe they do. They ascend to immortality. <laughs> Who knows? So, of course, the other main reason why these vampire legends developed and then spread across you know, the northern hemisphere is this lack of understanding of the decomposition process. Yeah. Now, when they talk about seeing the blood at the nose and mouth of an exhumed body, that's actually the beginning of the putrefaction of the organs inside, which mm-hmm. then leak out depending right. on the orientation of the body. It's not necessarily blood. Right. There's a lot of blood in it. it like, yeah, it's this like substance that's kind of yeah. red or dark brown, you know? Yeah. And, and a lot of these suspected vampire burials were buried upside down. Yeah. So I guess they couldn't claw their way out. Um, <laughs> yeah. But placing the body upside down was another factor that made it easier for the fluid to leak out. Yep. Yeah. Gravity, right? Like right. like the fluid goes where gravity sends it. So, right. yeah. You've got more holes facing that direction than do the other one. <laughs> yeah, totally. And then, so the other thing, and like, like we heard in our story about Arnod, if they drive a stake into the corpse, which was often the way they would stop these vampire-like hauntings or whatever, yeah. is to dig up the body that they thought started it and drive a stake through 
their heart or somewhere in their body. But it would make a sound like a groan or a scream. And that is just like the natural release of gases that are created during decomposition that build up inside the body cavities. And it comes out with that pressure release of the steak. And it makes a noise. And that might sound like the the body is screaming or groaning, but it's not. It's just natural gases. And finally, we're talking about Europe and Northern Europe here. Mm -hmm. It's very, very cold. So when bodies were buried under the ground any time in the winter months when the temperature was like, I don't know. Yeah, cold. You know, below 60 or 50 even, right? They, the decomposition would just be very, very slow, naturally, yeah. for that yeah. reason. And so if they dug up a body, like in the story of Arnott, I think the bodies that were dug up, I think it was like in November they were buried and then dug up in January or something yeah. like that. Then, of course, they're not very decomposed. It's been cold that entire time. So there just hasn't been enough warm weather to help further the de- decomposition process. So, All yeah. right. Well, that's a good history of a little bit of a history there's yeah. a lot to it but there is a lot there's yeah. so many more stories from different places yeah. everywhere yeah so in the next two segments we're going to talk about some actual archaeological cases where suspected vampire barrels have been found and in this next one we'll learn about the reason for the last couple of twilight movies back in a minute <laughs> you've worked hard for what you have your money your assets your 401k and home isn't it all worth protecting nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Spread the word. The JCPenney Friends and Family Sale is back. And this week, we're passing the savings on to you. Use your extra 30% off coupon to prep your home and style your family for Easter. That's extra savings on top of our great low prices. Plus, share your coupon with everyone you know and love. It's always better when we save together. JCPenney. Make everybody count. Offer valid 311 through 317. Exclusions apply. See store or jcp.com for details. Welcome back to episode 239 of the Archaeology Show, the All Vampire Edition. <laughs> and uh, and it's not it's not like, you know, just pop culture for the sake of pop culture. It's actual real stuff. Yeah, totally. Or at least what people thought was real stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So let's go talk, as we mentioned before the break, about a 17th century vampire child buried in Poland. Mm-hmm. Um, this child was found in the village of Payen. Payen? I'm going to say, and it's P-I-E-N, and the N's got an accent on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's weird seeing an accent on the very last letter, and it's a consonant. So I'm yeah, not really sure. I know. Pine? Well, it's Polish, yeah, so yeah. Yeah, anyway, northern <laughs> Poland. Yeah. Um, excavations at the site led by Deruz Polinski. How can you be Polish and have the name Polinski? Pol- I know. Yeah. He's so, <laughs> uh, very on the nose. <laughs> right. He's an archaeologist at the Nicholas Copernicus University of Turin. I would just like to go to that university, so I, I went to the Nicholas Copernicus University. University. Yeah, yeah totally. Cool. 
Yeah, they've found about 100 graves so far there, as according to the article we read, mm-hmm. and 13 more in the most recent excavation season, so quite a bit of stuff. By the way, check out the show notes. There's a lot of articles linked in the yeah, show notes. Some is. duplicates about stories, but told from different perspectives. Mm-hmm. So uh, The nice part about talking about this a couple months after it came out is that we really had a good, solid chunk of reporting yeah. to pick from on this. So actually, the very first article that you found yeah. was like... Merced Sun or something like that. And I was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> yeah. We can do better than that now. So we've right. got, we linked to a couple pretty good articles. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, that was, that was the first reporting, one right? Of the first one of the yeah. things out. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. People have hit it since then. <laughs> the child they found is estimated to be, to be between five and seven years old, and the sex of the child is unknown. And the hope is that they will be able to do DNA testing and we'll be able to provide more information on the yeah. sex. So, yeah. yeah, of course, they always want to do DNA testing, <laughs> but this is a fairly new find. So it's going to be some time before we know. Yeah. What makes this a vampire burial, at least according to custom, I guess, is the remains were found face down with mm-hmm. a padlock attached to one of his feet. The speculation is that the padlock was intended to prevent the child from returning from the afterlife. This child must have been a real terror. Yeah. And the body is face down, obviously, like we mentioned in the first segment, to prevent it from rising, maybe, or stop it from being able to get out somehow. Like, if you're immortal and you have all this strength, like the vampire legends say, couldn't you just like turn yourself over? <laughs> <laughs> I know. But it is interesting, though, in the next burial we're going to talk about from the same graveyard was a little bit more gruesome, maybe, yeah. with what they did to it. Yeah. But doesn't it make you think that, like, because it was a kid and it was probably a beloved child from a family and they just couldn't bear them to do anything worse than just placing them upside down, you know? Yeah. That's what happens in my head anyway. Well, and if the kid, you know, had something like rabies, kids play with dogs and other things like that. and could have, yeah. Yeah, could have just gone crazy. Yeah. So the area where these remains were found and all of the bodies in the cemetery, it's it's not like the main cemetery for this village. It's not associated with the church or anything. So mm-hmm. they think it's kind of like an abandoned souls cemetery. And that's why they, they're finding these vampire burials there. And also people who couldn't afford to be buried at the church would be buried there. So it's mm-hmm. kind of a mix of both people not allowed to be at the church graveyard and also people who can't afford to be there. Right. And I'm like, how much did that really matter in the afterlife? Probably not a lot, but sure. Okay. Yep. Uh, the archaeologist Polinsky said that the modern conception of vampires, as we mentioned in the first segment, mm-hmm. originated later, and the term was not even used in this area at that time. Yeah, because we're talking like maybe 100 years before the story that we told in the yeah. first segment, I think. So, like, you can't really call it a vampire. The word wasn't even really a thing yet. Yeah. But they definitely were doing something to these burials. Right. Yeah, but just looking at these burials, the village was clearly trying to protect itself from some perceived threat from the child yeah right? yeah they thought it was going to haunt them or yeah come like back said, or something and it's really sad too because i mean it's just you know this kid was probably had some horrific mental disease or some sort of like bacteria or something mm-hmm. in his brain or something and and just you know made him made him, him or her go crazy and it, it might not have even been an outward thing too like there's evidence if misfortune befell the village mm-hmm. and they needed somebody to blame it might just be the most recent person to die yeah and if it was that kid then that might be why they deemed them a vampire so right. it might not be any fault at all of the deceased person oh, sure. yeah so back to this same cemetery and what you were talking about earlier yeah this woman was found with a Padlock on her foot. That seems to be a thing. Yeah. I don't know. 
Like, was it attached to anything? I think it was locked to the coffin, yeah, right? Probably. Like, it was attached to the coffin, like, so they thought ha, it ha, wouldn't... You're not going anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but she also had a sickle across her neck. Yes. <laughs> so this is where the, like, they could take it a step further rather than flipping them over upside down. Yeah. Maybe a bigger threat would be an adult human, and they put the sickle over the neck so that if you try to sit up, you get decapitated. Yeah. How, like... Just kind of barbaric is that, right? You know, the thing I'm taking from this, too, is there's definitely people today that believe all this stuff. Yeah. Right? Uh, Well... People will believe anything. I mean, maybe not a lot of people. Come on. Back then, for sure, but... I'm not saying there's a lot, but there's people (laughs) that believe it. And and one of the reasons I would say, well, first off, people just like fantasy and want it to be real, but, Mm -hmm. I mean, you find a burial like this, and the people that did that... We're definitely afraid of something. They were. And we're trying to put a scientific spin on it and say, well, it could have been this disease, could have been that, but it presented as this and they Mm -hmm. didn't really understand it. Therefore, dot, dot, dot monster. Yeah. Right. Which is 99% probably true. Right. Right. But we're just, we're just kind of guessing. Yeah, we have to guess. Based on the evidence. Yeah. But to them, these things were supernatural and incredibly dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, how were they in their worldview even seeing these yeah. things to think that way? Like, and, and how could they like, like move on with their life when they truly thought a creature like this could be like rising from the dead every night to come yeah. and attack them or whatever? Like a, like a quarter mile away, there's a woman with a sickle around her yeah. neck sitting in a cemetery. Like, I'm pretty sure I would have cut her up and thrown her into the winds. Oh, my God. Yeah. Like, you're not, yeah. You're not getting buried over here. Yeah. I'm going to take you somewhere else. Right. Well, and sometimes these these vampire practices were done after the person died. Like I was saying, they just looked for a scapegoat Mm -hmm. to blame whatever the problems were, whatever misfortune there was. And they would dig people up and like add the padlock, add the stake sometimes, add the sickle in this case of this village, you know? It might have been buried with her at the time. I don't know if they mentioned anything about that context, mm-hmm. if they can tell if it all happened at once. I imagine if it was within a couple months of each other, there would be no archaeological evidence of whether right. it happened at the same time or not. Yeah. That would be pretty impossible to tell. You'd have to look at technology like the lock or something like that. You know, is it similar? Is, yeah. Was it made by the same blacksmith? Yeah. You know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Because there would be signatures of that, I would assume. Yeah. But, yeah. Maybe they should have done that kind of analysis. Yet. Yeah. Or maybe it's too... Degraded. If it were iron, you mm-hmm. know, there might not be a whole lot of it left. Yeah. So, it doesn't look, yeah. I mean, it looks pretty good in the pictures, but not like well enough that you'd be able to tell like a yeah. maker's mark or anything like that. Yeah. But yeah. Now, there might not be context for this, but I'm pretty skeptical of it unless this is a common assumption in this area and they're just not talking about this in the article. Mm-hmm. But apparently the woman had a very prominent front tooth. And according to the article, it may have been why people thought she was a vampire. Yeah, this sounds yeah. like conjecture, probably, yeah. but that's, I guess it's that's possible. That's like putting our modern spin on it, though. It, it is. Did vampires yeah. a thousand years ago have sharp teeth for sucking blood like snakes? Right. I mean, how did they get the blood? Right, right. You know? When you look at the picture of her skull, though, it it is truly, like, extremely yeah, prominent, like, snaggletooth, for sure. So, yeah. yeah. She had some issues, too. However, though, she was a, a woman of standing in this community. Mm-hmm. She was found with the remains of a silk cap around her head, and silk was not cheap at that time. Yeah. And also, there are the remains of gold threads in her garments. Mm. Again, you only get that kind of fabric if you've got the, the money to put behind yeah. it, you know? And finally... There were flecks of gold found on the palate of her skull. That would be the roof of her mouth. Yeah. And it indicates that she had drank medicine with gold in it, which apparently was a thing that they thought mm. would cure you if you were ill, because I guess she was clearly very ill. That's the one thing they know for sure about her is that she was very sick when she died. They just don't know of what or with yeah. what. Yeah. All these things show that she had a high social status, but 
you know, yeah. was still dangerous enough to be buried in the Lost Souls graveyard. Which is why I'm like, <laughs> was she buried in the good graveyard? Yeah. And then somebody decided to blame something on her and they dug her up and moved her to the abandoned souls graveyard and did all the vampire stuff. It would be so interesting to know that, but if it happened within, you know, weeks or months of her dying, I don't, I don't know that there'd be any evidence for that left. There probably wouldn't. Right. So yeah. All right. Well, let's take our last break and talk about on the other side, more reasons why we're not visiting Poland anytime (laughs) soon. Back in a minute. Waiting on a tax return. Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Welcome back to episode 239 of The Archaeology Show. <laughs> the Vampire Show. The Vampire Show. The Vampire Show. It's making me want to watch Buffy again. This episode sucks. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> you are the worst. All right. Let's talk about other vampire burials found in Poland. Yeah. And this is sort of like the precursor to the one we talked about last segment. This site was found maybe 10 or 15 years ago. So it's been around for a little while. And they've been continually doing research on it since then. I think the most recent article about it was maybe in 2017 or 18. Mm -hmm. So this is sort of like the first wave of vampire burials. What? (laughs) (laughs) But on, on this site, there are six burials that appear to have anti-vampire measures taken against them. They're very similar to the woman in the last article. They had sickles across their neck, and in one case, it was a sickle across the pelvis, which seems aggressive. These were found in Drosko, Poland, a couple hundred miles away from the last one we talked about. Mm -hmm. So kind of a similar area, so you can kind of imagine that the legends were similar in that area, and they were probably having a similar reaction. So it makes sense that they're kind of you know, aligned with each other. In addition to that stuff, there were rocks under their necks uh, or jaws, presumably to keep them closed and prevent them from feeding on humans. (laughs) Again, like if a human would have to get in there (laughs) because they could just move the rocks. I know. I didn't really understand this one. There's another one we'll talk about at the end of the segment that's a totally different site. But yeah, I'm like, how could they really stop the jaw from opening? Unless it was like a boulder type of thing where it was like across their neck and it would keep it from opening completely. But The cemetery here had uh, so far contained about 333 burials from the 17th to 18th century. That's a lot. Mm -hmm. The initial hypotheses for these 
particular burials that they thought were vampires or that they were, and again, why? But that they were immigrants, and that's probably why they were singled out for burial this way. Probably because modern people treat immigrants so terribly, so they just figured yeah. that historic people probably did as well. So I mean, you could do... What are they? What is that called? What is the name of it? When you study the teeth to find out, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, that's yeah. Called, yep. The yeah. strontium isotopes. Oh yeah, yeah. Yep. You probably didn't read any further, did you? Yeah, I may not you, have. Your yeah. brain is a uh, brain is jumping there. But yes, but that's how you can tell yeah. where people are from is by these those isotopes within teeth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's what the team did. Exactly what you were just guessing mm-hmm. is that they analyzed the ratio of strontium isotopes in the skeletons because different regions will have a different, like, unique ratio of these isotopes. Right. And of course, they find out that the vampires were locals. They go. were not immigrants, so yeah. they were not singled out because of that being the other thing, yeah. the otherness about them. You know, they it, were singled out for their other weird trait of <laughs> sucking the blood of their friends. <laughs> right. Well, they're on to a new hypothesis, which is, again, another one that you just cannot prove, not without written records to go along with it. But there's some pretty good, like, circumstantial evidence for this one. First of all, they did not die by violent death or visible trauma that that they could find. Yeah. So... Probably whatever killed them, it was it was quick. It probably got in there, killed them quick, and left no marks on their bones mm-hmm. that we could see. And at this time, in this area, there was kind of like cholera epidemic waves that would sweep through yeah. and kill a whole bunch of people. So, And cholera kills you very quickly, and it doesn't leave any marks. Like, you could die within hours of getting cholera sometimes. Yeah. It was so quick. And... Their current hypothesis is that it's possible that the vampire burials were the first victims of one of these cholera epidemics. And that's why they were buried as vampires, because they Mm -hmm. thought maybe they could stop the spread of cholera by stopping them from coming back to life and spreading it more among people, (laughs) you know? Because they didn't even know. We know it was cholera. Yeah. But they didn't didn't know know that. They didn't know. They just saw people writhing in agony, probably, and then dying. I'm sure they had a name for it, and and these were their reasons for it. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. And, you know, these things do come in waves. So by doing this kind of burial to a few people, they're like, look, it worked. Mm Because, like, nobody's dying from cholera anymore. Yeah, exactly. Like, it it maybe, or maybe they buried those people. Yeah. And then the the wave kept going and more people kept dying. So maybe they dug them up and added the the sickles and the rocks and everything else. And then then it stopped. And they're like, great, this is what works. This is what we know to do when cholera comes through or whatever they called it. Yeah. So one other article I wanted to talk about, and this one I actually didn't have, like, a great a great resource for because this site was found a long time ago and it's called the vampire of Venice. And if you look up like vampire of Venice and we'll link to one of the articles that has it, what you'll see is a skull with a brick shoved directly into the mouth. Right. And there's a guy that did a bunch of research on it back in the early 2000s up into maybe 2010 or so. And it was in an area where there was various epidemics going on, and his theory is that that's exactly what they were doing there in that case. There's none of the sickles and the other stuff, and this is in Venice, so it's Italy. It's totally different, you know, legends and folklore that they're pulling from there. Yeah. But they decided that they could stop this person from rising as a vampire and spreading whatever the disease was to the rest of the community by yeah. shoving a brick in its mouth. <laughs> and it's aggressive. Like, <laughs> like they had to have broken the jaw to, right. like, shove the brick in there like that. Makes you wonder so, if the guy was dead before they did that. I mean, I would hope so, because yeah. the thing that 
is interesting to me about all of these because it is a bit of like the human thought process and how they make up reasons for why things are the way they are when they don't understand it. It seems like most of the time they're like beloved members of their community and their families. Yeah. And they didn't do anything wrong when they were alive. It's just this post-death thing. Yeah. And and that's what the problem is. So they might manhandle the bodies after death, but they're not really doing anything to them before they die, I guess. I don't know. Silver lining, maybe, that the, that happened. Because, like, if you think about witchcraft, right, and people yeah. getting burnt at the stake, like, that happened to a real live person. <laughs> right. You know, and they didn't have a chance. This, at yeah. least, is coming after death, so it makes it a little bit better. <laughs> maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway. Well, those are just a few stories about evidence for anti-vampire behavior with historic populations. And like we said in segment two, a lot of the researchers won't even call it that. Like, this is the media adding the word vampire. (laughs) But it is definitely something... People are trying to stop the dead from coming back to life. Like they that is clearly what they were doing. Yeah. Like you don't put a sickle across somebody's neck where they will be beheaded if they sit up, unless you are well, very concerned about them coming back to life and haunting you. I mean, it makes me wonder if some of them were buried alive. I would hope not. You would hope not. But we're making a we're making an assumption here that that they were monsters killed and prevented from coming back to life. But they couldn't have been buried alive because if they did. There's there would be some kind of trauma on their neck from that sickle, or right? Maybe or just died. I mean, I guess if they were practically dead already, yeah. maybe, and then they just maybe. But yeah. I, I think if it was somebody who were truly alive and were like, "What the? I got to get out of here," then there'd be some kind of trauma on their neck. Well, I don't know if there would be any skeletal trauma though, which that's the only thing that's left. There wouldn't be any skin left. Well, right, but yeah. you would still even just like cut like marks would, on the bone and stuff. Right? Yeah, you'd have to lurch up hard enough to make cut marks on your own neck from a sickle. The whole point of the sickle is yeah, you're not going to do that. you're cutting through a lot of right. you'd skin have to and muscle really, to do that. You'd really have to yeah. hit it hard, yeah. right? So I, I'm not going to say that it's not out of the realm of possibility that they weren't buried alive. It is possible. There is no evidence Why would you padlock them? I mean, we're, again, we're making assumptions based on you know some other historical references as well yeah. that they thought these things were going to come back alive. So. We know that that was a common... <clears throat> Yeah. belief in this place in this time. Sure. So the logical theory is that that was what they were trying to stop is the undead person from coming back, a ghost or whatever, monster of some sort right. coming back to life. But but vampire might not be the right word for that. Yeah. In in that community, it could have been a different word. These ones that we talked about didn't have any wooden stakes involved, yeah. <laughs> which is when you start really getting into the, the vampire thing. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. But isn't yeah. it really interesting how like we get to you know, the true blood vampire <laughs> stories from from this kind of thing. Yeah. It is definitely an interesting transition from the folklore to to what modern minds will do with this stuff. Yeah. I love it. All right. Well, when you are, if you're listening to this in real time on Halloween, when somebody comes to your door and says trick or treat and you say treat, you don't have to give them candy anymore. You can treat them with the knowledge of vampires <laughs> now. Sit them down on the couch. That's be right. like, I have a story to tell you. Exactly. There was this guy named Arnod. <laughs> That's right. You want to yeah. be scared, kid? We'll bury you with a freaking knife against your neck. <laughs> oh, my God. padlock on your foot. Oh, my God. That's yeah. terrible. Don't do that. That's Anybody. Right. Oh, God. All right. Well, <laughs> I have no idea what we're going to talk about next week. Oh, wait. Yes, I do. Mm-hmm. It's Grease. 
It's the last Grease episode. Yeah. Yeah. So if you're sick we of promise. Grease. We <laughs> promise. Yeah. If you're sick of Grease, you know. Like, don't unsubscribe, sorry. but like, you know, be warned. Sure. It's coming. Yeah. That's all the good stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. With that, we'll see you guys next week. Bye. Thanks for listening to The Archaeology Show. Feel free to comment and view the show notes on the website at www.archpodnet.com. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at ArcPodNet. Music for this show is called I Wish You Would Look from the band Sea Hero. Again, thanks for listening and have an awesome day. This episode was produced by Chris Webster from his RV traveling the United States, Tristan Boyle in Scotland, DigTech LLC, Cultural Media, and the Archaeology Podcast Network, and was edited by Rachel Roden. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com.